As we see it, I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is where we'll spend the majority of our time together this morning. We are continuing in our study of uh, this parable of the lost, the wayward, the prodigal son. We got off to a great start in our study of this parable last Sunday, this popular and beloved parable in God's Word. One reason why we love this parable so much is identification. We can identify in ways with the prodigal wayward son. We have all had times where we've turned away from God to indulge our sinful desires, times when we have made bad decisions that uh, landed us in a bad place. Maybe not necessarily a pig pen, but a place we didn't want to call home for too long. We also, in ways, can identify with the older, unloving brother, and we can identify in ways uh, as parents with the father in this parable. Another reason why we love this parable so much is inspiration. This parable is inspiring to us from so many different angles. The forgiveness of the father to the prodigal son is inspiring. The repentance of the prodigal son is inspiring. The kindness of the father to the older son is inspiring. The celebration of the lost son who was found is inspiring. There's inspiration for all of us throughout this amazing parable. Once again, as we look at this parable, we understand and realize that the younger wayward prodigal son represents the tax collectors and sinners. The older unloving brother represents the Pharisees and scribes, and the father represents God, our loving, forgiving, merciful father. So let's go ahead and review uh, what we studied last week as we made our way into this amazing parable last Sunday. I'll begin reading in verse 11, and we'll, we'll review real quick where we uh, were last week, and then we'll move into what God has for us this morning. Luke wrote these words. He also said, Jesus is the one he, Jesus is speaking here, sharing this parable. A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he'd spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. As we shared last week at length, we see here uh, that the prodigal son ran out of friends, he ran out of food, and he ran out of funds. The lost son lost everything he had. Don't miss this point about this part of this parable. The lost son got what he wanted, but he didn't want what he got. The lost son got what he wanted, but he didn't want what he got. The lost son finally got his way, and then he realized immediately his way didn't work. 
And so we see here some truths that we can take with us, that we can apply in our lives personally uh, today and this week, and certainly truths that we can also use in our ministry to those that God places around us as we minister each week to the congregations that God places around us. So the first point we see here is that we never win living in sin. The prodigal son learned this lesson the hard way. We know that we never win living in sin. Sin never provides the fulfillment and peace it promises us. Sin is fun for a moment, but the moment doesn't last long. Sin begins to break our fellowship with God. Sin pulls us away from God, his word, his people, and his blessings. Thankfully, God provides us with his power at work in us to take his escape route out of every temptation we face as we turn to him and trust him as we live our lives for him. Second truth we see here is humility is a must for us. Once again, we see a picture of what God has shared with us in his word in the younger prodigal son, and that is simply this, pride comes before fall. As Solomon said, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. James and Peter in particular challenged us to humble ourselves before the Lord, because as we humble ourselves before the Lord, as we bow before God, then he will lift us up. He will exalt us. He will lift us up at the right time, at the proper time in his strength to fulfill his purposes. So we see the priority on humility. We'll see that again this morning as we continue in this parable. So let's now continue. Verse 17, we'll pick up where we left off from last Sunday. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food and here I am dying of hunger. And this is the prodigal wayward younger son saying this. He said, when he came to his senses, I love how Jesus put that. When he came to his senses, The truth of the matter is simply this. The younger wayward son was out of his mind due to his sin against God. The wayward son was so full of himself that he was blind to his sin, his selfishness, his pride, and his poor decisions. The wayward son was hardened by sin's deception. Just as scripture warns us that we need to encourage one another. Why? So that we will not be hardened by sin's deception. And Jesus said when he came to his senses, that literally means when the prodigal son came to himself. What it means is he had a spiritual aha moment. He had a spiritual reality check, if you will. God's conviction was so strong, it began to open the prodigal son's spiritual eyes. The prodigal son began to see things as they were. He began to see the reality of his situation. And as he came to his senses, he immediately thought of his father. Notice, he immediately thought of his father. He realized that his father was the only one who could help him out of his situation. He came to his senses and immediately thought of his father, and he remembered his father's generosity and his father's kindness. He said to himself, he said, how many 
of my father's hired workers have more than enough food to eat, and here I am dying of hunger. He realized the error of his ways. The prodigal son may have thought, what am I doing here in this pig pen? What is going on? What am I thinking? The prodigal son was starving in a foreign country during a famine while all of his father's hired workers were thriving back home with dad. And he began to realize this. He began to see this. As we've said many times before, we certainly see here again in this passage, living in sin is living senselessly. It's living foolishly. It's living unwisely. Sin promises us freedom, but it leads us to bondage and despair. Sin promises freedom, but it leads to bondage and despair. The third point we see here is that true repentance leads to God's blessings. True repentance leads to God's blessings. Look at this. He continues. Let's continue in verse 18. So the, father, the son says to himself, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. Then he says, I'll get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. I think it's important to note here that the son was not looking for an easy way out. The prodigal son did not blame his friends for his losses. The prodigal son, notice, did not blame the famine for his losses. The prodigal son demonstrated true, true repentance of his sin. He demonstrated true repentance of his sin. And so we understand and realize how important repentance is. We see it in the prodigal son here in this passage. And we know that true repentance leads to God's blessings. Repentance literally means to change your mind. It's from the Greek word metanoia. It means a change of mind. It means a change of mind that leads to a changed life. True repentance is a change of mind that leads to a changed life. We've said this over and over again, and as according to God's word, if you want to change the way you act, if you want to change the words you use, if you want to change the way you feel, you got to first and foremost change the way you think. That repentance, that thinking has to be changed. And true repentance happens when we realize our sin against God, when we begin to realize that our way isn't working, that we, when we begin to realize our scene is broken. True repentance happens when we realize living according to our desires, living according to the ways of the world isn't working for us, and by God's conviction and grace at work in us, we turn from living our way. We have a change of mind. Repentance happens. We turn from living our way, and we turn to begin living God's way by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. And we see this complete turn. And the change of mind, the repentance, the change of mind is what then leads to a changed life, which is exactly what we see happening with the prodigal son. And so we see the prodigal son literally hit rock bottom. And at that point, he embraced 
repentance. The truth of the matter is, for you and for me, at times, unfortunately, we have to hit rock bottom before we turn in repentance to God, before we respond to God's grace at work in our lives. Now, understand God was at work by his Holy Spirit in the life of this prodigal son at every point, convicting him, convicting him, calling him to return. But this son was so set on his sin, he wasn't having it. And this son finally hit rock bottom. Rock bottom for the son was in a pig pen. And it was at that point that he embraced repentance. We see a similar testimony mentioned briefly last Sunday in our Old Testament friend Jonah. He was so set in his sin, he kept going further and further away from God, going deeper and deeper away from God and his sin until he hit rock bottom, which was in the belly of a great fish in the deepest part of the water. And he embraced repentance. And so we see true repentance leads to God's blessings. Now, Jesus here outlines for us the steps to repentance. We see the steps to repentance right here in this passage. Let's review them real quickly. The first step to repentance is awareness. Jesus said when he came to his senses, true repentance happens. It begins when we become aware of our sin against God. We become aware of our sin against God. God got the attention of David through the rebuke of his friend Nathan. God got the attention of Peter through the rooster's crow. God got the attention of this prodigal son through his hunger and his stay in the pig pen. The younger son came to his senses. He woke up spiritually. He realized the error of his sinful ways. Now, I want you to understand that the place of awareness is oftentimes also the place of brokenness. When we become aware of our sin and how it separates us from God, we are often broken by our sin and how our sin has hurt God, has hurt us, and has hurt those who God's placed around us. Awareness is oftentimes a place of brokenness, and that's okay because brokenness is good in the context of repentance. We see this happen with Peter. When Peter realized that he had denied Jesus three times, what does the scripture say? The scripture says that Peter went outside, and what did Peter do? He wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. He sobbed uncontrollably. Why? Because he was broken by his sin. He was broken. At that moment, when the rooster crowed, awareness came rushing into his mind. And he was broken by his sin. Awareness is the first step. Second is honesty. We see honesty right here, the second step. He said, when he came to his senses, and then we see in verse 18, the prodigal son said, I'll get up. I'll get up. The prodigal son got up because Sin had taken him down. He physically had to get up. Why? Because he was physically down 
in the pig pen. The younger, the younger son got up as he looked up to his father. He said, I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Notice he was honest. He was honest. Notice all sin is first and foremost against our heavenly father, God. All sin is first and foremost against God. He said, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. The statement, I have sinned against heaven, is another way of saying, I have sinned against God. The prodigal son was honest with God. Repentance was at work. The Holy Spirit of God was at work. Repentance was at work. He was aware of his sin. He was honest with God. He said, God, I have sinned against you. God, I have missed your mark. God, I am guilty of sin. God, I have sinned against you, my heavenly father, and I've sinned against my earthly father. He was honest. He got honest with God. True repentance produces honesty in us about our sin. True repentance leads us to accept responsibility for our sin. True repentance causes us to look up to God for his forgiveness and mercy. See, the prodigal wasn't interested in blaming others. The prodigal wasn't interested in blaming society. The prodigal wasn't interested in blaming anyone. The prodigal was honest with God. He said, I've sinned. He said, it's on me. The conviction of God, which was producing that repentance. He was aware. He was honest. Third phase is humility. The younger son was humbled by God. He said, he said, he said, I will get up and say to my father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer to be worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. You see, the younger son was humbled. He realized he was out of options. He had nowhere else to go. He had no one else to turn to other than his father. The son, notice the prodigal son, left home full of pride, and he was going to return home full of humility. Notice the humility in the younger son and his statement and what he's willing to do. The younger son was willing to go back home to his father. Secondly, the younger son was willing to admit his sin against God and against his father. The younger son was willing to beg his father for his forgiveness and mercy. True repentance leads to humility in us. You see, it reminds us that we have nowhere else to go. It reminds us that we have no one else to turn to other than our father God. Humility then leads us to look up to God and to ask him for his forgiveness, for his grace, for his mercy in our lives. And so we see in a beautiful way unfolding for us here in God's word, the younger prodigal wayward son, he was aware of his sin. The conviction of God had gotten him. He was at rock bottom. God was producing repentance in the younger son. He's aware of his sin. He was honest with God of about his sin. He was honest with God. It's, it's me. I've missed your mark, God. He was humbled, willing to humble himself to go back to his father, willing to return and do exactly what God was calling him to do. And so we see in a similar way, God's conviction works in us. We become aware of our sin. We're, we're honest with God about our sin. We're humbled by God. We humble ourselves before God. And then we see the fourth step is confession. 
The fourth step is confession. I think it's important to note at this point in time, as we are now in verses 18 and 19, you understand this. You see this clearly. I'm sure you do. According to what Jesus is sharing in this parable in verses 17, 18, and 19, up until this point right now, the younger son, notice the prodigal son, the wayward son, is simply rehearsing what he was going to say to his father while he was still in the foreign country, still on his back, still in the pig pen. He's just rehearsing at this point what he was going to say. You see, repentance requires action. Requires action. Repentance requires a movement. Repentance requires obedience on our part. Repentance requires a plea for help. Repentance requires a confession of sin. And we see now in this passage, the younger prodigal son, he followed through on his rehearsal. He followed through on his rehearsal. This just wasn't practice for him. This just wasn't rehearsal. He was actually going to perform. He was actually going to move. As we see the younger son, what did he do? He got up and he went to his father and he confessed to his father just as he rehearsed. Join with me back here in this passage in verse 20. So he got up. And he went to his father, but while the son was a long way off, he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You see, he followed through. He followed through with his repentance. Now, as we look at this, certainly we can take a moment and uh, think to ourselves, the father could have responded at this point and said something like, well, 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 Mr. Give me my money now is back. Look who's broke now. Uh-huh, now you want to come back. I, th- I think I smell something. Wait, wait, I think I do. Somebody smells like pigs. Oh, so now you want to come back, and your way and your desires, and you thought you knew everything. It didn't quite work out for you, did it? Well, the father we know didn't respond that way. Praise God he didn't respond that way. Amen. He didn't respond that way. You see, what did the father do? The father exceeded. He exceeded the son's expectations. The father did above and beyond what the son could possibly have desired. And our God always exceeds our expectations and desires. Amen? He always exceeds. You see, our God does above and beyond all we can ask or think according to his power that is at work in us, through us, and around us. He responds to you and me. 
just like this father responded to the prodigal. And what a beautiful picture in this response. It leads us to the fourth application point, and that's simply this. God welcomes us with open arms. God welcomes us with open arms. You see, we never win living in sin. That means humility is a must for us, and true repentance leads us to God's blessings. And as we repent, we find out that God welcomes us with open arms. And so we come now to this passage. It's one of the most beautiful, one of the most powerful, one of the most amazing scenes in all of Scripture. Second, probably only to the cross and to the empty tomb. It's one of the most amazingly beautiful scenes in all of Scripture. Once again, let's just acknowledge, just, just note for just a moment, that the Pharisees and scribes would have been shocked by the response of the father to the prodigal son once again. They'd have been shocked by the response of this father to his prodigal son. Let's look and see what happens here. We see that in verse 20, so he got up and went to his father. Prodigal son's making his way to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. Note that, note that. Let's stop right there for a moment. While he was a long way off, his father saw him. What does that mean? It means the father was watching for his son, hoping for his return. It means he was watching. He was looking down the road. He was watching for his son's return. He had not lessened in his love for his son. He had not lessened in his hope and faith in God. You see, the father was watching. And while the son was a long way off, while the son was still a long way down the road, the father was watching and he saw, he saw his son. He saw him making his way. Let me just share a quick note of encouragement to you. If you're a parent of a prodigal, let me just encourage you this morning. If you're a parent of a prodigal, keep watching, keep praying, keep believing, keep hoping. You see, your prayer and your hope and your belief is not in your prodigal son or daughter. No, your prayer, your hope and belief is in God who is powerful and mighty to save. God who is powerful to change prodigals to passionate followers of Jesus Christ. That's where our hope is. This father kept looking because of his hope in the Lord that he might just do a mighty work in his son's life and that there would be that maybe that one day when he, when he decided to take a look that he'd see, he'd see his, his son coming down the road. This is a long way off. It's a long way off. He saw, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. That means he was filled with love, compassion, and mercy for his son. Filled with compassion. Uh, it literally means he was deeply moved. In the original language, it talks about back in this time and day, they would talk about he was deeply moved in his internal organs. He was deeply moved in his gut. He was moved to the deepest core part where all of his emotions and all of his feelings resided. And all of his emotions and all of his feelings in this father, everything that was in this father, all of his 
feelings, all of his emotions that was in the Father, the sight of his son touched that spot. It hit that deepest part, and he was moved with compassion and love and mercy for his prodigal son. This is the same words that Matthew used to describe Jesus when Jesus saw the crowds, when Jesus saw the multitudes. Matthew said when Jesus saw the crowds, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because he saw that they were helpless and hopeless like sheep without a shepherd. And so this father, upon catching sight of his son, that was a visual response. He visually saw his son, but the visual outward response was indicative of an inward amazing response that touched the very core of this father's being and every single emotion that he had within him. It touched him. Now, I want you to see what happens because of his moved with, he was, felt, he was moved with compassion. He felt compassion for his son. His father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran through his arms around his neck and kissed him. So we see three action verbs here that gives us a real good picture of what's going on. He ran threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him. So let's look at this. The father ran. He was so filled with compassion for his son that it compelled him to run to his son. Now, in order to understand the gravity of this scene, we need to take ourselves back to this day and time. And Bible scholars tell us in this day and time, fathers did not run. They didn't run. Fathers, you see, didn't run because it was undignified. They were the elder statesmen in the family. They didn't run. Very undignified to run. It would have been very unusual and undignified for a father to run, especially after a wayward prodigal son who said and did what this father said and did, what this son said and did to this father. It was undignified. Bible scholars also tell us, due to the attire of the day, for a father to run, it would have been necessary for the father to have picked up the robe that hung all the way down to the ground. He would have had to pick up his robe in his hand, and he would have had to kind of hold on in a bun the robe around his waist. And what that would have done would have exposed the father's legs, which was undignified in this day and time. And so the father ran. The father ran. Note, the father did what was shameful to cover over the shame of his returning prodigal son coming back home. The father embraced what was shameful. The father ran to put the focus on him to cover over the shame of this wayward prodigal son who was returning home. Sounds like what Jesus did for us when he took our sin and shame upon himself on the cross of Calvary. Why? So that you and I could receive forgiveness of sin, so that you and I could enter into a relationship with God. You see, Jesus came running for us because each one of us, a prodigal just like this young boy, just like this young man. And Jesus took our sin and shame upon himself take away our sin so that we could have a relationship with our 
of a father. The picture here of the father running after the son is a picture of God's passionate pursuit of us. Isn't it a beautiful picture? It's a picture of God's passionate pursuit of us. Listen, I don't know whether you had a good relationship with your father. I don't know, you may have had a bad relationship with your father. You may have a good relationship. You may have had a good one. You may have a bad relationship. You may have had a bad relationship with your father. You may not have had a relationship with your father. But what I want you to know, no matter what the state of the relationship you have with your earthly father, you have a heavenly father who passionately loves you. You see, you have a heavenly father who pursues you. He takes out and runs after you because he loves you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to embrace you. He wants to welcome you into his family. The father ran. Says he threw his arms around his son's neck. That literally means he threw his arms around his son's neck. (laughs) He embraced him. He hugged him. He pulled him in close. You see, the father wasn't going to social distance any longer. He was done with that. He was finished. He pulled him in close. And then he said he kissed him. The tense of the verb means he kissed him again. welcomed us with open arms by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. God forgives us of the blood Jesus shed for us on the cross. God loves us and lavishes his love on us in Jesus. He showers his grace and mercy on us in Jesus. I think it's important. It's so interesting. I love the, the picture here in this scene. Notice the son didn't even get to finish his rehearsed speech. Isn't this amazing? What a beautiful picture. Look at what the son said. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But before the son could say, make me like one of your hired servants, the father cut him off. He cut him off. It was enough. He had seen enough. He had heard enough. The father couldn't contain himself. Why? Because the lost son was found. Why? Because the son who was dead was now alive. He was back. He was back. 
I love what one Bible scholar said about this picture. He said this, in the far country, the prodigal learned the meaning of misery. But back home, he discovered the meaning of mercy. He ran face first in the mercy, love and forgiveness of his father. Listen, there's three blessings that we receive as we repent of our sins. We said that, that repentance leads to God's blessings. We said that God welcomes us with open arms. As he welcomes us with open arms, I want you to see these these three blessings that we receive. The first is we receive God's forgiveness. Like the prodigal son, when we repent of our sins and return to God and we confess them to God, we receive forgiveness by the blood Jesus shed for us on the cross of Calvary. We know John told us in 1 John 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous. He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. Listen, confession of sin just simply means we agree with God about our sin against God. Confession means, God, I agree with you about my sin. It is unpleasing to you, and I confess it to you. Praise God that we receive forgiveness by the blood of Jesus, which takes away our sins. Amen? The blood of Jesus takes away our sin. Secondly, I want you to see that we are restored in our fellowship with God. Look, when this younger son returned, he was restored to his position and privilege as son by the loving, forgiving, merciful father. Let's look in verse 22. We see this continues. This scene continues to unfold. He said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast. Because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. You see, the son returned and the father welcomed his son. The father forgave his son and the father restored his son back to full rights, blessings, and privileges as the son. The ring, the robe, and the sandals represented the son's restoration by the father. Notice the son did not deserve or earn the Father's forgiveness, love, and mercy. He simply received it. And likewise, when we repent of our sins and confess them to God, God forgives us and he restores us in our fellowship with him. He restores our fellowship with him. He returns the joy of our salvation to us by his forgiveness love and mercy of us. And we certainly don't deserve or earn God's restoration. We simply receive it by faith in Jesus. A beautiful picture unfolding. And then we also see that we are renewed in our faith in God. We're renewed in our faith in God. The prodigal son was renewed in his faith by the response of his father. If you notice and see the son didn't hide in shame. He didn't cower in shame. What did he do? The son went to the feast, went to the celebration, and he partied. He went as the son, and he celebrated with his family and household as he returned to the family. He went and celebrated, and we repent of our sins God renews our faith in him. God renews our faith in him. God's love, forgiveness, and mercy compels us to live our lives for him. We see once again, God 
rejoices when lost sinners are found in Jesus. Now we know, according to our understanding of, of, of the history of this time as well, the fattened calf, fattened calf in homes would only be brought out on special occasions. Fattened calves were prepared for very, very, very special occasions. And only on a special occasion would a fattened calf be brought out for a feast. The return, the repentance, the restoration of this young wayward prodigal son was an occasion worthy of a celebration, amen? It's an occasion worthy of a celebration. And so the father said, let's go bring the calf out. We're going to have a feast. We're going to celebrate. A person's salvation is always an occasion for a celebration from us as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. A person's repentance of their sin is always an occasion for a celebration for us as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. As we look at this passage, we see that the younger son he came back to his father just the way he was. He didn't get up and go into town and buy a new suit. He didn't get up and get showered and get a good meal in him for the long journey back. No, he got up and he went back to his father just the way he was. And his father embraced him, received him, forgave him restored him. And the same is true for you and me today. God wants us to come to him just the way we are. God will clean us up and he will fill us up and he will use us up for his purposes and his strength, for his honor and glory. He just simply wants us to run to him, to rely on him as we live for him by his power and strength at work in us. Praise God, we have been found by God in Jesus. Praise God. We, prodigals, have been found by God in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. God is speaking by his Holy Spirit in us, and I want to encourage each of us to respond in obedience to the Father. My brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, let me just encourage you to respond as God is ministering to you, to just respond, and maybe that response is, is just through confessing your sin to Him and, and renewing that faith and trust and commitment you have to Him. Maybe it's just simply to rejoice, to rejoice in the restoration that you have in Christ Jesus, to rejoice as a son or daughter of God, an heir of God, a co-heir with Christ Jesus, to rejoice in how God's continuing to guide and direct your life, to provide you with forgiveness and grace and mercy. Maybe God's leading you to pray for a, someone that you know that God's wanting you to minister to them this day, this week. God wants to use you in their life to draw them closer to Him. Our pastors will be staying here at the front and they would love to pray with you, pray for you, pray over you. The altar is open as it always is for you to come and kneel and, and do business with the Father. 
But let me also just encourage any who are continuing to run from God. Maybe there's some here this morning and your testimony would be, you know what? I'm the prodigal. I'm the prodigal son. I've been running from God, living my way, doing my thing, and I realize now that what I need most and who I need most is is a relationship with God by faith in Jesus. God's at work by His Holy Spirit in you. He's drawing you to repentance. He's drawing you to faith and trust in Him. His conviction is weighing and He's desiring you to return to Him. Repentance, again, is a change of mind that leads to a changed life. And you can turn from your life of sin and by God's power at work in your life right now, through His grace and conviction on your life, you can respond to God by simply receiving His gift of salvation by placing your faith in Christ Jesus. By admitting to God that you're a sinner and being honest, as we said, with God that, that you're guilty of sin against Him by realizing that you need a Savior and by acknowledging that Jesus is your Savior. Tell God that you believe that Jesus lived a perfect life, that Jesus died a perfect death on the cross, that he was buried in the tomb, and on the third day he rose again, and he's alive today, and he is the way, truth, and life. And the only way to God is through faith in his son, Jesus. And you just simply cry out and ask God to forgive you of your sins, and just simply say, God, I receive your gift of salvation. So I place my faith and trust in Christ Jesus. Our pastors would love to introduce you to Jesus. We're standing here ready to receive you, encourage you. Let's continue worshiping God by our response of obedience to God as we stand and sing our praise to Him. Let's stand together.